If you have your Bible with you again this morning, please take it out and go over into Luke, the 17th chapter. Please go to Luke chapter 17. Once again, it is good to see all of you here this morning. It's been a wonderful day of worship to our God. So thankful for Brother Ryan doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing. And to all of our men, Brother Chad, Brother Tom, for all of our men who have led us in, in worshiping the Lord. Unfortunately, even as a, a young man, I don't have the best memory. And in fact, the truth is, I, I really don't have a good memory at all. Many of you know firsthand that it took me meeting you about four or five times before I finally remembered your name. I am very forgetful when it comes to names, and I'm also forgetful when it comes to directions. That's why I'm glad I always have a GPS with me. I'm also forgetful when it comes to dates, and there have even sadly been times in my life when I have forgotten my own phone number and my own zip code. I don't have the best memory when it comes to those kinds of things, and maybe, maybe that's not a big deal in the big scheme of life, but let me take a few moments to tell you what is a big deal. Let me tell you now about some things that we as human beings cannot afford to forget. First, for all the men in the room, particularly for all the husbands in the room, you and I both know that we can't afford to forget our wife's birthday and our anniversary, right? You know, Brother Ryan knows that if we forget those two days, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. We're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. We may be sleeping on the couch for a few weeks or maybe even outside. We, we can't afford to forget our wife's birthday. Can't afford to forget our anniversary. And we also can't afford to turn the stove off before we leave the house. And we also can't afford to take the keys out of the ignition before we lock the doors of our car. We also can't afford to forget to pick our kids up from school. And we can't afford to forget to pay the house note and the light bill each month, right? If we forget to pay the house note and the light bill, we're going to have some problems, especially in the summertime here in the valley. But above anything else, we also cannot forget the things that Jesus says we must always remember. Above anything else, we always have to keep in the forefront of our minds the warnings of Jesus. Warnings like what we find in Luke 17 and verse 32 where Jesus emphatically says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Brothers and sisters, when you read this verse in your daily Bible reading a few weeks ago, did you give it much thought? Did you think carefully and critically about what the Lord is saying in this verse? Or, or did you just easily blitz right through it? I want to suggest that while this is one of the shortest verses and all the Bible, it is still very powerful. It is still very convicting. It is still a verse that we can learn a lot from. 
And so let me ask you this now. Do you know who this person is? Do you know who Lot's wife is? Do you know who this woman is that Jesus goes out of his way to tell us to remember? I want to submit to you that her story, Lot's wife's story, is closely connected to the story of her husband, Lot, in Genesis chapter 19. When you go on your Bible to Genesis chapter 19, I want us to see if we can learn some things from the Old Testament this morning. Go to Genesis chapter 19. If you recall Lot, Lot was the nephew of the patriarch and the great man of faith, Abraham, right? Lot was Abraham's nephew, and he lived in the wicked, just unrighteous city of Sodom. He lived in a city that was immersed in gross sins like homosexuality, and because of that, God was determined to destroy the city of Sodom. God was determined to destroy Sodom and her sister city, the city of Gomorrah. God says because of her sins, God was going to destroy Sodom. In fact, God sent two angels to Sodom to warn Lot to take his family, to take his wife and to take his kids and leave that place because God was, was going to wipe it out. God was going to burn it up with fire and brimstone. You in Genesis 19, look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this. It says, then the two men, these are two angels here, okay? The two men said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters. Notice how Lot doesn't just have daughters. He has sons. He has sons-in-law. And whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. He hesitated. So the men seized him by his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they brought when they had brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. I want you to drop down now to verse 24. Let's fast forward the story to verse 24. OK, verse 24. The Bible says, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But his wife, Lot's wife from behind him, looked back. And she became a pillar of salt. My dear friends, this right here. This story right here is what the Lord is alluding to or making reference to back in Luke 17. 
the Lord Jesus is alluding to this story in Luke 17 and verse 32. And I got to tell you, I really like that he does that for two reasons. First, I love the fact that the Lord makes reference to this story. Because by doing that, he's putting his stamp of approval on it. He, he is saying that while it seems incredible to believe, it really did happen. It really did take place. This story is a historical fact. By making reference to the story in his ministry, the Lord is verifying the historicity of it. In fact, not only does he verify the historicity of the story, but he also tells us we need to remember it. He says we need to remember Lot's wife. We need to remember this woman and her actions in our lives. In fact, I submit to you this morning that there are at least four things we need to remember about her. First, when it comes to Lot's wife, we need to remember her disobedience. We need to remember her disobedience to God. I want you to go back to Genesis 19. Look carefully at verse 17 again. You see verse 17? Notice the clear instructions of the angels of God in that verse. Notice how when being led outside of the city of Sodom, the angels of God told her, don't look back. Don't look behind you. Keep your eyes straight ahead and get out of this city swiftly. Those were the clear instructions of the angels of God, and I think we can all agree that those instructions are easy to understand, right? You don't need a PhD, you don't need a master's degree, or a bachelor's degree, or even a high school diploma to understand those instructions. Those are clear instructions from the angels of God. The question is, did she obey those instructions? Did she obey the clear instructions that came from the angels of God? Well, according to the text, she did not. According to the text, she actually rebelled against the angels of God. She rebelled against those instructions. And when she did that, she perished. She died. She received the judgment of God. She immediately on the spot turned into a pillar of salt. She disobeyed the Lord and she suffered as a result. And that, my friends, is one of the main things that the Lord wants us to remember about her. The Lord wants us to remember her disobedience. This is clear. I think when you go back to Luke 17 and study carefully the context of the verses in. Go back to Luke 17 again, please. Look carefully at the context of the verses in. Notice carefully how in Luke 17, in the context of that verse, the Lord is actually warning his disciples about the pending judgment of God that will come upon the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Starting with verse number 22 of the chapter, the Lord gives his disciples 
a list of warning signs that would precede Jerusalem's destruction by the hands of the Romans in 70 AD. He wants them to understand that when they saw these things take place, that would mean that Jerusalem's destruction was imminent. It was going to happen very soon. Very soon, the temple of God was going to be destroyed as well as the entire Jewish nation. That's what the Lord says was going to happen, and history confirms that that's exactly what happened. History confirms that when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, over a million Jews died. Over a million Jews died. Mothers, fathers, children were slain in the streets. People were taken off into captivity and the temple was destroyed stone by stone. Jerusalem was destroyed just like Jesus said it would. And that is why, that is why the Lord here in Luke chapter 17, he's given his people warning signs to watch out for so they would know when to get out of town. He's trying to give them a heads up. Look at verse number 37. In Luke 17 and verse number 37, Jesus says, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. This is not the only time we find this language in the scriptures. It's also found in Matthew 24, and in both places, the vultures or the eagles represent the Roman army. They are the vultures that would feed on the dead carcass, the dead body of the Jewish people. The vultures would eat the body. The Romans would destroy the Jews. Now look at verse number 31 of that chapter. In verse number 31, Jesus tells his people that when they left town before the Romans came, they were not to look back. They were not to go back for their possessions. They were not to go back to their homes. They were not to turn back if they were running in the field. Jesus says that when Jerusalem's destruction drew near, they were to run and keep on running. They were to remember Lot's wife. They were to make sure that they learned from her mistake. The question is, will we learn from her mistake? Will we learn from her mistake? Will we make sure that we're the kind of people who just listen to God and do exactly what he says? Will we be the kind of people who understand that above anything else in our lives, God wants our obedience. He wants our loyalty. He wants our devotion. He wants us to demonstrate our love for him by just humbling ourselves before him and obeying his clear instructions. That's all God wants from me. And that's all God wants from you. And unfortunately, Lot's wife, she didn't do that. She didn't obey the clear instructions of God, and that's, that's why she suffered. She died. And so Jesus wants us to remember her disobedience, but not only does he want us to remember her disobedience, a second thing he also wants us to remember is he wants us to remember her husband. He wants us to remember her righteous 
husband lot. Someone says, why are you calling her husband a righteous man? Well, my friend, the reason why I'm calling her husband a righteous man is because that's what the Bible calls him. The Bible calls him a, right, a righteous man. In 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 7, when talking about Lot, Peter refers to him as righteous Lot. He's called righteous Lot. Now, I think we can all agree that if an apostle who is inspired by the Holy Spirit calls a man righteous, then that means he's righteous. That means that he's someone who feared the Lord and he pleased God. That means that he was someone who honored the Lord and he respected him and he obeyed his commandments. The, the scripture says that Lot's wife was married to a righteous man. Lot was a righteous man. He was a righteous husband. And isn't that a blessing? Isn't that Wonderful. I mean, isn't it wonderful and just great to, to have a righteous spouse? To have a spouse that loves God. To have a spouse that loves the word of God, to have a spouse that's sitting with you in the pew this morning to worship God, to have a spouse that is committed to helping you raise your children in the ways of God. Isn't it a blessing to have a righteous, a righteous spouse? Well, I think we can all agree that that's a blessing to have a righteous spouse. But let me tell you something. While that is a blessing, we need to understand that we can't make it to heaven riding on their coattails. We can't make it to heaven riding on the righteousness of our spouse. Let me tell you something. I thank the Lord with every fiber of my being that I married way over my head. That I'm married to Genesia. That I'm married to someone who is not just beautiful on the outside, but more importantly, listen carefully to this young people, more importantly, beautiful on the inside. Someone who loves God. Someone who serves God. Someone who is righteous and, and tries her best to be an authentic disciple every single day. I am thankful to God that I am married to a righteous woman, but just because I'm married to a righteous woman, just because she may make it to heaven, because she is faithful to God, that doesn't automatically mean I'm going to be there with her. That doesn't automatically mean that I'm going to be saved with my righteous wife. You see, going back to Genesis chapter 19, remember how his righteous Lot is fleeing the city of Sodom with his family. His wife didn't make it. She died. She perished. Her husband's righteousness did not automatically make her righteous. You see, God judged them on an individual basis, and that's exactly what he continues to do today. We learn this in passages like Romans 14 and verse 12, where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, so then each one of us, each one of us as individuals, we're going to give an account. We'll give an account of himself to God. We're all going to give an account of ourselves on an individual basis. That's what Paul is teaching. He 
He brings this point home even more in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 when he says, For we, we must all, every one of us in this room, everybody on the planet, everybody to have ever lived, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, each one individually, may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he or she has done, whether good or bad. Do you see the point? You see the point the apostle is making? Notice how it doesn't matter who we may be related to. It doesn't matter what preacher or great elder may be in our family lineage. It doesn't matter how righteous our spouse may be or how righteous our kids may be. It doesn't matter how righteous our parents may be. It doesn't matter who is in our family. We can't expect to go to heaven based on their righteousness. We can't expect to go to heaven based on their zeal and their love and their service to God. The scripture says that God judges us all on an individual level. Practically speaking, that means that when I stand before God one day, I'm going to give an account for how I've lived my life. And Janice will give an account for how she's lived her life. And when Shawn Michael and Faith's time comes, they're going to give an account to God for how they live their lives. We're all going to be judged on an individual level. That's what's going to happen with me and my family. And that's also what's going to happen with you and your family. We can't expect to make it to heaven riding on the coattails of our righteous family members. That's something we need to remember from the story of Lot's wife. But not only do we need to remember her disobedience and her righteous husband, but thirdly, I want to say that we also need to remember where she died. We need to remember that she actually died outside the city. She died outside the city. That's what the Bible says in Genesis 19 and verse 17 and in verse 26. You see, in both of those passages, Moses, the writer of Genesis, makes it very clear that Lot's wife did not die in the city. She did not die by being consumed with fire and brimstone like everybody else. Instead, the scripture says she died outside the city. She died while she was fleeing the city with her family. She started out obeying God. She started out walking with the Lord. She started out fleeing the city with her family. But the problem was she didn't go all the way, did she? She didn't go all the way with God. She only went part of the way with God. She only took a few initial steps with God. She failed to realize that partial or half-hearted obedience was not going to cut it with God. It wasn't going to cut it with the Lord. And I got to tell you, unfortunately, so many disciples today that they follow in her footsteps, don't they? Unfortunately, for so many Christians, members of the Lord's church, members of the kingdom of heaven, like we talked about this morning, whenever they're baptized, whenever they come up out of that water, they start out really well. 
They start out on fire for God. They start out with zeal and passion. They start out worshiping God, growing in God, serving in, in different capacities in the church. But after a few weeks go by or a few months or even a few years, you know what happens to some of these people? They turn back. They start looking back. They leave the Lord. They eventually lose their souls because they don't continue in obedience to God. The New Testament warns us of this over and over again. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 19. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19, Paul says this. He says, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some, some disciples here, some Christians, have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Notice how Paul says that we can actually reject the faith. We can actually suffer shipwreck as Christians in regards to our faith. There Paul is talking about leaving the Lord. That can happen. The Hebrew writer makes this point crystal clear in Hebrews 3 verse 12 when he says, take care, brethren. When he says brethren there, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about disciples. He's talking about people who are part of the kingdom of heaven. He says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that what? That falls away. It falls away from the living God. Notice how Paul says we can sh suffer shipwreck in regards to the faith. And here the Hebrew writer says that we can actually fall away from the faith. We can fall away from the living God. Paul says that that could even happen to him, even though he was an apostle, even though he had the ability to perform miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit and impart spiritual gifts to other Christians. Even though he's inspired of God, even though he's seen, he has seen the risen Savior on the Damascus Road, Paul said he had to discipline his body. And he had to make it his slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself, Paul says, I myself will not be disqualified. At 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19, Paul says we can suffer shipwreck in regards to the faith. Hebrews 3 and verse 12 says that we can fall away from the faith. Here Paul says that we can be disqualified from the faith, disqualified from the spiritual race. Do you see the point? In all of these passages, the Bible is saying that when it comes to our service to God, when it comes to the spiritual race that we are running right now, we can't quit. We can't turn back. We can't look back. We can't fall away. Instead, we got to keep going. We got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. We have to finish. We got to make sure that we don't suffer the same fate as Lot's wife. Lot's wife died outside the city. She died even though she initially was doing what was right. That same thing can happen to us if we're not careful. We need to remember her disobedience. 
And we need to remember her righteous husband and how she died outside the city. In fact, this brings us to the last point I want to share with you this morning. And that is we need to understand that Lot's wife died outside the city because at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, her heart was not with God. Her heart was not with God. Let me ask you something. Why in the world did she look back? Why in the world did she look back even though God's instructions were so clear? I got to tell you that I find it to be very interesting that the Bible does not tell us exactly why she looked back. I, I mean, maybe she looked back merely out of curiosity. Maybe in the moment she just had to see with her own eyes an entire city be destroyed with fire and brimstone. Maybe she felt sorry for her family members who were getting burnt up in the city. Maybe she hated seeing her house or her, or her real estate burn up. Maybe she didn't think God was very serious about the instructions he gave. Unfortunately, all we can do is speculate as to why exactly she looked back. But regardless of the specific reason, her decision to look back, it was very telling, wasn't it? It was very revealing. It revealed that while her physical body may have been outside the city, her heart was still in it. Her heart was still in the city. And it wasn't with God. The question is, what about you? What about you? Where's your heart? Where's your heart this morning as you sit in that pew? I mean, right now as you sit in that pew, is there something pulling at your heart right now? Is there something tugging at your heart? Is there something causing you to look back in the world? Is it the false religion of your parents that you came out of? Is it ungodly friends or alcohol or pornography or maybe an immoral relationship? I want you to go to one more place in your Bible, then we're going to close. Go to Luke chapter 9, please. Can I show you something in Luke chapter 9? Luke 9 and verse 57. In Luke 9 and verse 57, we find a very interesting episode to take place in the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says this, Luke 9, 57. As they were go going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me. There it is again. First permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand 
to the plow and looking back. Looking back. Is fit for the kingdom of God. What is the Lord saying in those verses? Well, before I tell you what the Lord is saying in those verses, let me first tell you what he's not saying, okay? First, let me suggest to you that in those verses, the Lord is not saying that it is wrong to love our families. He's not saying that it is sinful to bury them once they pass away or even say goodbye to them before we go and do something important. You see, the problem that Jesus had with these men, it's not that they wanted to do these kinds of things. Instead, the problem he had with them is he knew their hearts were not with him. You see, we got to understand, we got to remember that our Lord, while he was on the earth, he was able to read hearts. He knew the hearts of men. He knew that these men had hearts that were not truly committed to him. They were not all in with him. He knew that their hearts were really devoted to something else above him. The Lord knew that. He knew the real problem was, was their hearts were far from God. And that's also the same problem that Lot's wife had. Ultimately, my dear friends, Lot's wife was lost because her heart was not with God. Her heart was still in that city. It was not devoted to pleasing the Lord. The question is, will we learn from her mistake? Will we remember her mistake? Will we remember Lot's wife? Will we remember that God doesn't just want our bodies? He doesn't just want us to be going through the right mechanics, but above anything else, God wants our hearts. He wants our devotion. He wants our allegiance. He wants our faithfulness. If we give those things, if we give our hearts to God first and foremost, the mechanics, the right mechanics, that's naturally going to follow. And so, maybe there's somebody here this morning, and you're just like Lot's wife. Maybe you're looking back. Maybe you've turned back. If so, then you have an opportunity right here and right now to come back, to come back to the Lord before that great and terrible day of judgment comes on the whole world. This morning, you have an opportunity to be restored into a right relationship with God. If you are a disciple that is strayed away from the family of God, or if you are someone who needs to come to the Lord for the very first time, I hope if that if you don't take anything else away from this lesson, you will take away that obedience to God is important. You need to obey God and do what he says before it's too late. You need to believe in his son, repent of your sins. And obey his commandment, his commandment to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Those are the clear instructions of God. And if we can help you obey those instructions, you come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.